All right, so if you have your uh, copy of God's word, you can open to, um, open to 1 Corinthians 6. I'll be there in just a few moments, but um, you, can, you can turn there. Uh, we are gonna have a Q&A after the message today, so uh, the number is on the screen if you wanna write that down, uh, 617-942-0753. I imagine I'm gonna get some questions today uh, after the message, um, but uh, you can write that down. Uh, now, we've been talking about schemes of the enemy for several weeks now, and God's been using that in an incredible way in my life, but I thought back, thought back about uh, when I began to learn about the devil, right? Uh, I did grow up in church, but it wasn't something that was talked about a lot. And so my concepts of, of um, devil was an evil being that was behind evil things in the world and that he would try to possess me uh, and, and you know, make me levitate, or he would do evil things like lock me in a dungeon uh, and make me listen to Taylor Swift albums over and over again. Um, okay, so nobody thought that was funny. <laughs> My wife did. Um, she knows how much I love Taylor. Um, but okay, so maybe not that last part, but certainly the fact that, I don't know if anybody else had that experience of, of you were raised in a way to kind of fear the enemy that he was gonna do these crazy things to you. And for me, it was largely shaped by, by my experience with movies, right? Horror movies, where, where when there was a demonic force or satanic force that showed up, you know, it's like everybody's freaked out. People were dying. There were gonna be people levitating or whatever. And then they would bring in the priest, right? The, the priest, Father Bill, Father Bill would come in and you just knew from the very beginning it wasn't gonna go well for Father Bill. Uh, Father Bill would come in and then Father Bill would go out the window. Um, and, and, and for me, it made me really freaked out. I'll be honest. I was like, oh my gosh, I, sh I hope I don't ever run across the devil or demons or anything like that in life. And I had this, this, this fear. Um, and that concept was shaped, um, unfortunately by unbiblical views of Satan rather than what scripture itself teaches. Uh, scripture teaches, and, and as I began to study in college, after I became a Christian, uh, I began to study scripture and see that Satan was doesn't, he rarely shows up in those crazy supernatural ways. He almost always is at work in the, the everyday uh, minutia of life. And that, and that, in fact, trying to understand what the, Satan's uh, attempts are, his purposes are, uh, John 10 was hugely helpful for me. John 10, 10, which Jesus said, uh, he's teaching this. He says, the thief, in this case, he's talking about Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the enemy's agenda, Satan's agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he doesn't do that always in direct ways. In fact, I would argue if he did it in direct ways, it would be a lot easier to kind of look and go, oh, look, there's the devil. Let's stay away from him. Let's run away from him. Let's pray, you know. But he doesn't work that way. He works through more subtle and sinister schemes um, that affect us and shape us. Um, and the interesting thing about the devil is understanding that he was, him as a, a pernicious evil being that doesn't, isn't after, isn't like any character that we tend to think of when we think of evil characters. You know, the evil, evil characters in the movies uh, all seem to be, have an agenda. They're after money, they're after power, they're after making something change, right? They're, 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 they're acting on that. The closest character that I've seen, honestly, I mean, I'm, there are several that are really good, but the closest character to Satan, I believe, is maybe the Joker from The Dark Knight. Uh, the Joker in The Dark Knight movie, spoiler alert, it's bad. Um, if you haven't seen it, you have no excuse. It's one of the greatest movies made in the last 20 years, but you should watch it. Uh, but, but in that, the Joker is not after people following him, is he? He's not trying to build an audience. He's not even after money. There's a scene where there's like a billion dollars in cash in front of him. What does he do? He pours gasoline on it and burns it. 
He doesn't care about the things that we care about. He isn't after influence. He doesn't even care if people know his name, right? In the, in the movie. What is he after? He's after unleashing destruction and death among people. And he doesn't care if those people know his name. And so he's a, he's a, he's a, a chaotic being that works behind the scenes to destroy life. And Satan, in particular, works in everyday circumstances to scheme and to, to lead us astray more than we recognize. Um, and I, I want to say this. So we're, we're, today's message is going to be about how Satan schemes in the area of sex. Um, and I realize that every, every Sunday we have people tune in or take people now that we're meeting in person, people who come in person who are just checking out Christianity or some who are just returning to, to the church for the first time in a long time. And I want, I want you to hear this, that this message is not geared towards um, those that, that are not Christians. This is talking about inside Jesus' family, this is how we believe Satan schemes and works. Um, the, the message of Christianity to those who are looking in is not, hey, you know, you're thinking about sex wrong, you need to fix that. It is that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord and he gave his life for you. The message of Christianity to the world, despite what some Christians have done and acted like out there, is not about what, what everybody's doing wrong out there. It's about the gospel. It's about the good news that Jesus Christ died. Now, the difference is when you come into Jesus' family, Jesus has a way of thinking about things. He teaches his family certain things. So my family has a way of thinking about things and doing things. But I don't go down the street and knock on the door and tell the people in that other family, you need to behave like my family thinks, right? So I, I say that, listen, engage, think about it, reflect on it. Um, and the first thing I want to say about sex from, from this perspective is God is pro-sex. Yes, I said that in church. God is pro-sex. God is more pro-sex, good sex, than anyone in the world. Why? Because he created it. He designed the human bodies, male and female bodies, to experience deep, profound uh, pleasure that, that affects you on, on every level. And this is exactly why Satan schemes in this area. Uh, if you look at the entire narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it over and over and over again, Satan schemes among God's people in this area because it is such a powerful experience. Sex is a powerful experience. It's very based to who we are as physical human beings, right? Uh, there are a few that do not experience any sexual desires, but, but largely, vast majority of people have, have uh, healthy sexual desires. One of the first instances in all of scripture of, of Satan scheming in this area is when God led his people out of Egypt uh, and they're in the wilderness, right? And they're at the base of Mount Sinai and, and Moses goes up on the mountain to get the 10 commandments from God. And when he's up on the mountain, what happens? The people get together, they, they they're like, Moses is gone, where's God? And we don't even know where God went. And so they built a golden calf and, and in Exodus, the way you read it, it sounds like they just were worshiping the golden calf, but the rest of scripture explains that and casts a vision. What happened is they got up, worshiped this pagan fertility god. That's what the calf symbolized, the pagan fertility god. Worshiped that god, and then they had a giant orgy. They did. Moses turned his back for five minutes, goes up on the mountain, gets the Ten Commandments, comes back down. The people are worshiping a pagan fertility god and having sex. So God obviously is upset with that. Um, but this is how Satan works. He enters into God's people and seeks to deceive. And so what I want us to do today is we're gonna walk through some of these lies um, that, that Satan deceives with, these, these lies that he feeds us. 
um, to, to get us to, to, to buy in. Now, uh, I'm, I'm gonna explain the lie and then explain the truth with it. So the first lie, and this is a pretty simple one, but it's a very, and it's anecdotally obvious one for me, uh, is that uh, the first lie is that sexual sin is the worst sin. It is, all right? It's the worst sin in the world. But in truth, everyone sins, and sexual sin in God's eyes does not make anyone further away from him than any other sin. I don't know if you grew up in, in uh, this kind of context, but I grew up in the South, in Virginia, and uh, a lot of Christian leaders and a lot of Christian churches made it their, their, their motto, basically to condemn everyone, right? To condemn everyone who was having sex in any way that they did not like. Uh, condemn people in the culture. Uh, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And what happened oftentimes in doing that is they would set themselves up as, you know, the world is sexually broken, but Christians, we are sexually whole. Do you see the lie there? And what happened is a self-righteousness and a prideful condemnation of those who, uh, who are outside of the church. Um, and in this this context, it's, it broke my heart to see, and we've seen this, national leaders who'd call out sexual immorality in culture only to find out behind the scenes they're sexually broken and then it goes public, right? So what, I'm not talking about speaking truth. I, I, I think there's a place for, Jesus never, never compromised his beliefs no matter who he was meeting with, but he didn't do it in a condemning way. And I've seen too many Christians, too many churches, too many Christian leaders act as if they have no sexual brokenness at all. And so that's a lie. But look at how Jesus acted in a very sexually promiscuous culture. So we tend to think, I don't know if you're like me, I, I kind of, until I really understood it, uh, I used to think like, you know, the further you go back in time, the more pure people were, the more marriage was the only place people had sex and, you know, cultures were, were traditional. But in fact, that's not true. The Roman, Roman Empire was extremely sexually promiscuous. They, they, had, uh, they had entire public institutions in, in the city of Corinth, which we're gonna look at in just a moment. They had a giant temple with, with estimates of hundreds and hundreds, up to a thousand temple prostitutes, which your worship was going up to the temple and having sex with one of those prostitutes. There were public baths, there was uh, same-sex uh, relationships, there was pedophilia, uh, you name it. It was more promiscuous in many ways than our own current culture, though we're headed there. Um, and so Jesus, in this environment, uh, one of my favorite stories is in John 4, where he shows up and talks to uh, a Samaritan woman, right? If you know the story, the Samaritan woman, Samaritan, just think unclean to Jewish people. I mean, you don't talk about unclean. Samaritan person was unclean, but Jesus and a woman, a Jewish man would never get ta caught talking to a Samaritan woman. And yet here he is in a public space at a well, talking to this woman, engaging her. This woman had had five husbands and was now living with a man. How did Jesus embrace her? Well, he didn't act like there wasn't anything there to talk about. He just didn't condemn her about it. He said, yes, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with is not. And, and they got into a conversation. You know what he offered her? He didn't say, you know what your issue is? Your issue is that you're sexually broken. No, what he said is, you know what? You're, all the things you've been looking for, that thing, that longing you've been looking for through all of these relationships, I have it. It's called living water, and I want to give it to you. And he did. And this woman's life was changed forever. That's the picture. Not this idea that somehow uh, uh, sexual sin is worse than every other sin. All right, so let's look at 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 12 through 20, and we're gonna unpack several other 
uh, lies there that, that people believe. This is, uh, just so you have a context, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, which they were, came out of a very sexually broken culture. They, start, uh, they quoted all these things at him. This is the church saying, hey, we want to engage in sex. However, we want to engage in sex and you can't tell us. So he's quoting things back to them. This is what he says. Uh, he says, uh, all things are lawful for me. That's what they had told him. He says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. But food is meant for the stomach and the stomach is for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will, raise also, will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or, or do you know that when he, joined, when he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your bodies. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I will say this. He does say sexual sin is unique, right? He's addressing the power of sexual sin because it's so deeply connected with a desire, with a, with a biological desire that God has built into us. So he says, be careful about it. Um, but when, it, when God is not the center of, of a person's life, they will look for a consummate human experience to replace that. They will. They'll look for a consummate powerful human experience to shape the experience they were supposed to have by knowing and walking with God. And it all begins with Satan uh, asking a simple question. And I'm talking about those in the church. Did God really say? You know where that comes from? Genesis 3. Did God really say sin, sex was really only for marriage? That seems really regressive. That seems really narrow. Seems like God's trying to, to crush all of your joy and all of your fun. And as soon as a person buys into that, then they, they, uh, Satan begins creating doubt. So the first lie here in this text that we see is sex is casual and biological. Sex is simply casual and biological. But the truth is, Paul says, in Christ, sex is sacred and spiritual. So he says, he quotes them, which they're quoting the arguments of their culture, the people around them, right? They're, they, all things are lawful. It's legal for people to have sex. It's legal for two people or three people or however many people want to get together and have sex. It's not against the law. No one's arresting them. No one's taking them to jail. It's legal. And Paul says it might be legal, but it's not helpful or expedient. And they repeat, he repeats the phrase, all things are lawful for me. But he answers it in a different way, which means they were using all things are lawful for me in one sense of going, I'm not getting arrested for it. And they're also using it in another way as well. So he repeats back to them. He says, um, drawing the attention to the fact that they, they're arguing, hey, we're free and consenting adults. We're free. And he says, you're not free. Sex is powerful. It creates a bond. If you don't believe me, uh, if, if, if you're struggling with porn, just stop. If, if you've got a new sexual partner, just quit. Just stop it. Just don't do it. 
Don't, don't do it for a month. That's all. And then come back and prove to me that it clearly is not powerful and not addictive and not dangerous and doesn't suck you in and enslave you. And Paul's saying, no, it does. You're not free. You're in bondage to sin, a disobedience to God. So sexual sin has an has a incredible power and Satan knows this. So he taps into that desire, just like Eve, you know, Eve was in the garden looking at all the different fruit and she had a desire and, and Satan tapped into that desire and led her and Adam into sin. So the Corinthians repeated to him, they said, well, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. In other words, how many of you ate today? Raise your hand, right? Why'd you eat? You ate because you had a drive. I mean, maybe you eat because you don't have a drive, but you, know, you, 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 you typically, we all get hungry, right? We all get hungry, what do you do? You eat, you all have to go to the bathroom. What do you do? You go to the bathroom. Biological urges for sex? You should just act on it. That's what they're saying. And, and that was very common in Greek culture. The Greek understanding of the physical world was temporary and didn't matter. So as a Christian, uh, you were free. You know what? Your physical body, it's, it's going to get cast off anyway. It's all about heaven. It's all about the new heavens and new earth. And you don't have to worry about the, your physical body right now. So what you do in your physical body is not a big deal. And so they were learning from the culture around them than what God, rather than what God was teaching. And the fact is that God's plan about sex is not simply about satisfying a biological urge, but experience a sacred and spiritual oneness with another person. The Hebrew word for sex and marriage is, is about a soul level union. One, one Old Testament scholar translates it a mingling of souls. And he's saying, this is what you're made for. You're made to have that kind of union with one other person for life and nothing separates it, nothing divides it. So the second lie is that it's biological. The, the third lie we see here is our bodies belong to us. Bodies belong to us. It's my body. I can do what I want. But in Christ, our bodies belong to him, don't they? That's what Paul is arguing here. He's arguing that your body's a temple. Now, we've never... The one interesting thing about Greek culture, that our, the ancient Roman culture that would be different than ours, is they were never as individualistic as we are. We are way more individualistic. They would have thought in groups of family units and, and or work units and or town communities that you, they lived in uh, than we do. And so we've been fed the lie. It's my body, I can do what I want. What I do does not affect anyone else. Let's say porn, for example. Looking at porn, does that affect anything else in your life? Does it affect any way that you relate to other people? Does it affect your relationship with God? See, the lie is you can have porn over here and it doesn't actually affect anyone else or anything else, but you start looking at people differently when you are consumed by porn. The research shows it. I'm not talking about Christian research. I'm talking about science that has said it rewires the human brain. And so you're looking at it here and you're like, this is my body, I'm doing what I want to. It doesn't affect anyone else, but it actually affects how you see and treat other people. And Paul says it also affects how you relate to other people and how you relate to God. So I was, um, I have a really kind of, a, I guess, a tragic story uh, around uh, sexual exposure in my life because I was very young. I was seven years old when I moved to a new neighborhood and the 12-year-old kid across the street decided to show me his stash of, his dad's, or his dad's stash of Playboys. 
seven years old. Didn't even know what I was looking at, but it triggered something in my head. And it, had a, it, it played a role all the way through high school and into college and affected uh, marriage for me for, uh, initially. And so there, there, there's an effect there. It, what, what in high school felt as a very private, personal thing, doesn't affect anyone else, ultimately was affecting me, my relationship with God, and, and eventually my relationship with my wife. Paul says in verses 15 through 17 that when you're joining sexually with a person, or I would argue visually consuming another person for sex, you are implicating Christ in that. Why? Because he says you are a temple. You see this, you know, I remember, uh, I don't know if you ever grew up, uh, I grew up actually, my parents brought me to church and I always referred to the church as God's house, right? This is not God's house. It's not. It's not like God's been sitting here all week can't wait till those guys show up. Been looking for them. Can't wait till they come. We're gonna have a good time, then they'll leave. You know, maybe that's how you like your guests to come and go, but uh, God's not that way. Where does God live? Because of Christ, he now dwells in his people. We are temples. Therefore, when I take this temple and I look at porn, or I take this temple and I, uh, I have sex with someone I'm not married to, or I, I do something else that's outside of God's vision, then what am I doing? I'm dragging Jesus along in that. And Paul says, this is demonic, this is evil. You're implicating Christ in sin. Jesus is jealous for you. He says, you're mine. I died on the cross, I rose from the grave so that we could be one, so there can be union between you and I. And yet you are taking this union and and using it sinfully. This is why Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Flee, run away. Don't even entertain the thought. Get up and get out of there because it's dangerous. It's powerful. And, and why, I mean, let's just take a step back. Why would Satan not scheme in this area when it comes to God's people? It's powerful, it creates shame, it creates guilt, it, it, it isolates people, pulls them out of community. You don't think so? Sleep with your girlfriend or boyfriend, then try to go to CG that night and be honest. Try to, try to go to church on Sunday, raise your hands. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. What happens? You can't do it. Because you can't take Jesus with you into sin and then expect to, to just act like everything's normal. Now, there's grace. He's got tons of grace for us. But he doesn't have grace where we choose to, to, to ignore him. The th- fourth lie we hear, see here is that sex is about our fulfillment. Sex is mainly, fundamentally, about our fulfillment. But in Christ, Scripture teaches sex is about our formation. It's about shaping us as people. The Corinthians have been having sex outside of marriage because they saw it as an act of self-fulfillment, see it as an act of self-expression and self-satisfaction. And Paul says, you're joined to Christ, you belong to him, therefore everything you have is, is an act of worship, is part of your formation as a Christian. So Christian formation or Christian expression in your life is really about Christ expressing himself through you, making you a more loving person, making me, you a more gracious person, making you a more patient person, shaping you to be selfless like Jesus is. So how can you go into sex to consume uh, uh, sinfully when Jesus is teaching you and shaping you to be selfless? 
I know it's difficult. Satan's schemes here uh, about fulfillment is, is rampant. Our culture is enamored with sex. Look at magazine covers. I know I don't buy magazines, but I still see them at the grocery store checkout. So somebody's evidently still buying them, right? <laughs> magazine, all, how many articles, how many uh, pop up on your feed about uh, sexual experience, sexual fulfillment, uh, all of the sexual expression, whatever it might be. Any guys, you make the mistake of looking in your spam folder and your Gmail. What is it? About a third or half of it is just about performance enhancing drugs. And we're not talking about athletics here. Seriously, and, and if you didn't know that, don't go looking. Uh, <laughs> just don't ever look at your spam folder. Uh, it, it, it's all over the place. Why? Because it's, it's being fed to us. This is life. This is your hope. This is your fulfillment. This is everything. And Christians, some Christians are just eating that up, going, my life's not complete if I don't have sexual fulfillment, right? But Jesus never had sex. And yet, he was the most human being, most fully human being that's ever lived. He experienced everything that there is to experience as a human being in terms of fulfillment in this world. And he neither had a spouse nor sex. I think about how rampant porn is in our culture, which is, um, I wrote this down because I wanted to say this exactly right. It's nothing more than self-centered, consumer-driven, sexual desire looking for self-fulfillment. It is consumer-driven, sexual desire looking for self-fulfillment. It is using other people. And how pernicious is it? It's everywhere. It's in every segment of society. It's growing. Something like a third of all Google searches or something are porn-related. Think about how Satan feeds these lies to us. This lie that's being fed in our culture that there is a sex to be had out there that will change everything. It will so satisfy your soul, so fulfill you as a human being that everything about you, your entire identity should be wrapped up in that. And let me tell you something. A Christian doesn't have to prove that's wrong. The sexual revolution has been making promises for 50 years that it cannot fulfill. That's why people keep looking for something else. That's why they keep looking for another sexual experience or expression. Sex is good in God's eyes, but it is not God. Sex is good, but it is not God. And it is not going to ultimately satisfy our deepest desires. We were made to experience living water that doesn't dry up, that's not over in 10 minutes, that stays with us, that's part of who we are. This is our new identity in Christ. We rest in him. We know him. We walk with him. The spirit is with us at all times. And yet Satan tempts us. Did God really say? God's, God's holding, out for, holding out on you. He doesn't really want you to have sex. He doesn't really want you to experience sexual fulfillment. The fifth lie here. And this is an important one. It's one that doesn't get talked about a lot in the church. I'll be honest with you. And that is this. If I'm married, sex is easy. I'm good. That, that area of my life is now settled. Now, 
Nope, does not work that way. But the truth is, sex is about two people being bonded together for life. There's lots of freedom there in, sex, uh, in the area of sexual sex, but it's about selflessly giving yourself, not about you selfishly receiving. It's about selflessly giving yourself. And, and, and just like marriage in general, marriage, <laughs> anybody who's been married for five minutes knows being married to another sinner doesn't make all your hopes and dreams come true, right? Despite the movies, despite the fairy tales, we all think your soulmate is not gonna satisfy that part of you that only God can. And if you're looking at marriage in that way, you're looking at sex that way, this person is for me, for me to use, for me to consume, for me to have my sexual fulfillment, you will destroy your marriage. Because sex in marriage, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, just right after this text that we just looked at, 1 Corinthians 7, look at verse 2, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. In other words, they, they belong together. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Now, that doesn't sound very spiritual, right? But he's saying, man looks at his wife and saying, baby, I'm yours. Fully available. Now, I know a lot of men are like, I like that verse. I'm good. But the other verse says, uh, sorry, the wife, and likewise, the wife, her husband. Now, this is where you get crazy. For the, verse four, for the wife does not have authority over her own body. What? But the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. So he's saying here, marriage, and when it comes to sex, is a selfless giving yourself to the other person. It is not, you are here for me. It is not, you are here for my sexual fulfillment. It is me giving myself selflessly to you. So Paul warns, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He knows sex is powerful. He knows in the bonds of marriage, there should be sexual freedom. So a couple should decide together. We're not gonna have sex for this period, but sometimes there's, there's no sex because of a baby, right? There's no sex because of sickness. There's no sex because of travel or whatever. And what happens in that time uh, is if, if you're about this other person bringing me sexual satisfaction, then what's, what's gonna happen? You're gonna lose, self, you're gonna lose control. You're gonna, you're gonna get angry at this person because they can't meet that need, right? But if you're, it's about you giving yourself to that other person, then all of a sudden, you find grace. Sex was never designed to be something easy, even in marriage. It's not meant to be easy and superficial for two people to experience. It was meant to require something from us, to pull us out of us, to demand that our selfish desires for our own pleasure be crucified as we give ourselves to the one we love uh, from whom only death will separate. That's the biblical picture of sex and that's why marriage is meant to be the place for it. It requires self-sacrifice on one hand and vulnerability on the other. Listen to what Tim Keller says. He says, Paul is saying, you must never have physical oneness without whole life oneness. God meant physical oneness to be a barrier and a vehicle and a confirmation of whole life oneness. I'll put it another way. God is saying you must never get physically naked and vulnerable with someone without becoming vulnerable in your whole life. You must not become physically vulnerable and hold on to your independence. You must become legally, economically, socially, emotionally, in every way committed. You must give up your independence. And this how sex in the bonds of marriage shapes us to be like Jesus. 
as we selflessly give ourselves to another. And think about, just, just stop for a moment. This is extra. It's not the sermon, just giving you a little extra bonus here. Think about when a couple who are committed to life together and the freedom that comes in that deep friendship and that covenant that nothing but death will separate us, enter into the bedroom together going, my greatest joy is to bring you joy, to give myself to you fully. Think about how beautiful that is. Think about how protected that is. Think about how much freedom there is in a lifetime of that. Doesn't mean it's not difficult because you know what? Because our best efforts, we're still selfish. We are. And the final lie that I want us to hear today, and this is an important one. This is a lie that, a lie that Satan feeds in the church today, I think more than maybe any others around sex. As Christians seek to follow Christ, seek to live for Christ, it is this. Your shame makes you unlovable by God. Your shame makes you dirty in God's eyes. God sees your sexual brokenness and he is, he is disgusted by it and he hates you for it. And that's the lie, that shame that's in the heart. He whispers, your sexual sin has made you dirty forever. Your sexual brokenness is what God sees when he sees you. For those who have same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, Satan whispers to you, everyone else is whole, but not you. Everyone else will have someone, but you never will. It's a lie from the pit of hell that keeps Christians in shame and in, and in the dark and afraid. And I wanna say this as, as clearly as I can to, to all of you. Listen to me, if that's you, you feel like that's you, God sees you. God sees you and he wants you to come into the light and not be afraid. He has grace for you. Look around this room. I want you to take a quick second, look at everyone as quickly as you can around the room, okay? I, I know nobody ever does, nobody's ever done this maybe in church, but everybody you're looking at, including up here, is sexually broken. There is no one in this room that has lived an entire life with nothing but godly sexual desires and longings in their heart. No, we don't go a week with that, right? We are all sexually broken. Satan wants you to think you're alone. He wants to think, especially you're addicted to something, to porn right now, he wants you to think you're alone. He wants you to feel like you can't bring that into the light, that you can't talk about it. But listen, Jesus sees you. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you say that with me? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, can we say it like we actually believe it? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stand on that truth, cling to that truth, root yourself in that truth. And when Satan brings shame for you and he wants you to hide, you bring it into the light. Because the good news is John 1, 2, 1 says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate today, seated at the right hand of God in heaven, who says, I see you, I see your struggles, I see your shame. I see your fear. 
And it's felt, and I, I know this, I'll say this, it feels like church is not a safe place to, do, to talk about that, it, does it? And, I, and I, I grieve over that, my heart goes out to you over it for those that are carrying that, that shame today. But Christ wants you to bring it into the light and that may mean talking to a CG leader, that may mean talking to a Christian friend. Listen, and I mean this absolutely, if you cannot talk to anyone, you're like, I can't bring this to a friend, I can't bring this to my CG leader, you email me and I will come meet with you and you can tell me and I will not tell anyone but you can come to me and know I will pray for you. I will walk with you. I will encourage you because I have experienced sexual brokenness in my life and, I, and I'm finding only grace and freedom from shame in Christ because I look at my past, I look at things that happen and there's so much shame there. And I know some of you are walking in that right now. I'm gonna close in prayer, but I know this message was heavy, but I'm gonna ask you to just as best you can to just pray and ask Jesus to, to bring things to light in your heart. Maybe he lays someone on your mind or heart that you need to pray for. Um, so go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's pray together. God, I, I thank you that, that you created sex, that it is a good gift to mankind, the bonds of covenant marriage and the freedom and security and all that comes with that. But God, we are, we are weak, we are sinful, and we are subject to the enemy schemes in this area and not one person in this room gets off scot-free on this. We have all fallen short of your glory. We all have longed for our own fulfillment. All of us have longed selfishly to use self you use sex for, for, for selfish reasons. I pray, Lord, that your spirit might speak to us even now. Show us your goodness and grace. Show us that Christ alone frees us forever, giving us the living water that we so desperately need deep in our souls. And I pray right now against the enemy. I ask you, Lord Jesus, rebuke him rebuke his lies that he has fed us and help us to rest in the truth today. In your name.